Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, Voices for Mental Health and Wellness. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and I hope over the next half hour you will be engaged, enlightened, and inspired to live your very best life. My guest today is Erica Robinson. She is the Community Engagement Coordinator for Shelter for Help in Emergency in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome, Erica, to the podcast. Hello, how are you? Just great. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. So I introduced you as the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Shelter for Help in Emergency. Can you tell me a little bit about your work there and what first attracted you to the position? I am the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Shelter for Help and Emergency. Um, I am primarily responsible for the recruitment and training of our volunteers, um, which are you know critical to the work that we do every day, um, both on an outreach as well as residential basis. And then I also work really hard to connect with um, various agencies, as well as just our community members in general, in order to share with them um, you know, information regarding what we do here at the shelter, and then also just to let people, you know, know that we're here, who we work with, um, what our services are, you know, and really work to network and provide that information so that when people need it, they have it. So your services are predominantly, or your services are for domestic intimate partner violence. Is that right? It is, yes. So our agency um, does work solely with individuals who have experienced um, either domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Um, we do kind of use both terms interchangeably, but do you know want to to help um, you know people understand that for the purposes of our agency. We are um, specifically working with people who have experienced violence within the context of an intimate partner relationship, um, which is, you know, a little bit different than maybe some other family relationships, such as like a parent, child, et cetera. I see. Um, and the pattern is usually physical, sexual, or emotional. Is that correct? Um, yeah, it can be. We know that, um, you know, the majority um, of of things that occur within the context of an um, intimate partner relationship that does have that violence um, component present, you know, really is rooted in kind of power and control. Um, a lot of people, when they hear domestic or intimate partner violence, they the first picture that comes to mind is kind of the physical effects, you know, on someone that maybe has some visible bruising or something like that. However, we also know that there is a lot of psychological um, abuse that occurs. Um, you know, the emotional piece, like you mentioned, um, it can be financial. It can be, you know, one partner maybe using children if there, you know, if there are children involved as kind of a weapon against the other partner. Um, there can be a lot of different forms, but we do know that all of that really is rooted in power and control. You know, you mentioned domestic and intimate partner, and I'm wondering just, has that term changed over the years because people are maybe not always getting married or we're talking about same-sex relationships? It, yes, that's definitely part of it. Um, 
So over the years, you know, you've probably have heard terms, you know, definitely domestic violence, um, probably, you know, battered women, um, you know, at one point, you know, it was battered women's shelters um, and very much, you know, kind of the idea that this was something that only happened to women. Um, you know, we know that, you know, at this point, that's, that's not the case. Um, you know, a, someone can experience intimate partner violence um, in any type of intimate partner relationship. And as you mentioned, you know, it could be um, in a spousal type relationship, it could be in a same sex relationship, um, but it can be, you know, any of those relationships in that context of an intimate partner situation. As an agency, we, um, our services are available to everyone in our community, regardless of how they identify, um, and also regardless of their ability to pay. All of our services are free because um, we want to, you know, be there for people, you know, irregardless of that. And do you know that there are similar organizations across the country that do what you all do? Yes, yes. Luckily, um, you know, in the last 35, 40 years, there has been a lot of work done, um, you know, surrounding the, the issue of domestic or intimate partner violence and a lot of effort being placed on, you know, how do we stop that cycle before it be? Um, but again, you know, when you're outside of our service area, there are certainly other resources available too. You mentioned um, working with other community partners, civic organizations. Uh, does that include law enforcement and healthcare providers? It does. It definitely does. We actually partner with a variety of the law enforcement agencies in our service area um, using a program known as the Lethality Assessment Program, or LAP um, for short. And basically that is a program um, where training is provided for the law enforcement personnel, um, so the officers that are responding to domestic violence calls. Um, so that they are able to determine who the primary victim is in the situation. And then they actually administer a series of 11 questions that are designed to determine the, the danger level that is present in the And then law enforcement will reach out to our hotline. Let me ask you this, and I'm not sure you'll know the exact answer, but I imagine this domestic violence is repetitive and it doesn't just happen once and it continues to happen. If a person calls the police on more than one occasion, is there a different protocol? It would be the same protocol. We do keep, um, you know, we obviously keep the records and the data surrounding that information. Um, the police are gonna follow the same protocol. They'll administer the lab questionnaire. They'll contact us. Um, irregardless of, you know, if it's the first call or the sixth call, um, you know, the officer may tell us, you know, hey, we've been here before, we're really concerned, and this is why, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be the, the victim's choice as to whether or not they are ready, you know, to have a conversation or, you know, ready to make a change in that situation. And we also know we've learned a lot over the years, and I I feel like there's been um, more understanding of uh, the barriers that people place when they're trying to leave 
um, leave situations in which violence is present. Um, it can be really easy for someone to say that's not involved in the situation and not experiencing it. Well, why don't you leave? Um, but you know, we work really hard to help educate the public and then also, of course, our clients alike regarding you know, what the cycle of violence is and that, you know, we understand there are barriers in place. You know, the person may not have a job. They might not have the financial means. They may feel like they have no support, nowhere to go. Um, you know, there's so many different things that come into play. We just want them to know that we, you know, we understand. And when, again, when they are ready, that we'll, we'll be there. So how does one get in touch with your organization? Excellent question. So we do have a hotline. Um, our hotline is someone will be there to answer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The phone number for the hotline is 434-293-8509. Um, and again, that is the best way, you know, certainly to reach us at any point. Um, and someone can call and just ask a question. They don't have to call knowing, you know, what they want, what they need. They might not even know for sure if they're, you know, experiencing domestic or intimate partner violence. They may just feel like, hmm, something's off. I'm not comfortable. What does this mean? Um, and our, our advocates are trained and they are ready, you know, to help answer those questions, provide resources, referrals, et cetera, um, and connect our callers and the people that need help, you know, with the people that can, can provide that assistance for them. Well, let's talk about some of the warning signs, if you don't mind, that someone might be in an abusive relationship. Sure, definitely. Um, so, of course, of course, there's the the more obvious ones, you know, someone that, um, you know, maybe presents with some physical signs such as bruising, et cetera. Um, you know, but sometimes people may really, you know, withdraw someone that was, you know, originally kind of outgoing and really, you know, engaged with maybe friends or family, you know, now is maybe a little bit more reserved and not quite as, um, apt to to be involved in those type of like social situations, for example. Um, you know, sometimes in the workplace, you see people who are missing work. You know, there are some concerns there. You see some, you know, changes in that behavior. Um, you know, sometimes you see some increased anxiety, those types of things as well. Is there a correct way to ask somebody if they are struggling with the domestic violence or an intimate partner abuse situation? Um, I don't want to say that there's necessarily a correct or an incorrect way, um, but we certainly do encourage people, if you're concerned about a friend, a coworker, a loved one, to let them know that, you know, to say, hey, I, you know, I feel like something may be going on. Is there anything that you, you know, you want to talk to me about? Can I help you with this? Um we, as an agency, have a variety of materials available, one of which is our hotline card. It's um, pocket size. It's relatively small, but it has some very basic information on it regarding um, some basic statistics, some basic safety planning information, 
our resources that we provide, and then of course the hotline phone number. Um, and I always encourage people if they ever have the opportunity to grab a couple of those hotline cards to grab them. And then if you do find yourself having that conversation with someone, you could say, you know, hey, I picked this up at an event. I saw this. I just want to give it to you in case maybe you need it one day or you find someone that might need it. Um, Great resource. Speaking of resources, since Speaking Candidly with Candace is a national podcast, is there a national number people can call or a website or any other resources you can give our listeners that are in other states? Yes, definitely. So there is a national domestic violence hotline and they are fantastic. Um, Their phone number is 800-799-7233. There's also a text option and just texting the word start to 88788 can also gain people access to that hotline service. Um, Their website is thehotline.org, and they, again, are, you know, trained to provide people with the basic information that they need and then also to help point them in the right direction. So, you know, it may be someone, you know, in Dallas, Texas calls the national hotline. They'll be able through their system to figure out, okay, this is the agency that you're closest to and, and actually route them directly there. Um, so they are a great resource as well. You mentioned a few minutes back about some of the reasons why someone has difficulty leaving an abusive relationship. So I wanted to talk more about that and maybe some steps that you can give our listeners who are not sure if they're in an abusive relationship or are in an abusive relationship and want to leave. What are some of the steps that they can take uh, to plan for, for for safety? The first thing I would recommend is as soon as they are ready and they feel comfortable making that call is contacting their local domestic violence agency. Um, there will be people on staff that are able to help them plan and safety plan. There are some, you know, some basic things that we always recommend, you know, for folks, you know, keep 911 programmed into your phone, know your local shelter's hotline. Um, don't get trapped in certain areas of your house. Um, you know, you don't want to get trapped in a kitchen. There's, there's easy access to, you know, what could be used as weapons there. Um, we encourage people not to um, try to like get shelter in a bathroom because it's one way in, one way out. Um, you know, have an escape route in mind should you need that. Having an extra car key stash somewhere. You know, if you have a friend or someone that you are comfortable sharing information with, letting them know, hey, this is going on. I'm working on an escape plan can you hold my important papers for me, my social security card, my birth certificate, certificate, my kids' birth certificates, passport, et cetera. Um, Have a backpack just in case. Leave that with your neighbor, with your friend. Um, Have a code word that you've established with a neighbor, with a friend. I think all of those uh, suggestions are exceptional advice that I never would have even imagined thinking about. Uh, so my question to follow up on that is, I imagine it takes a lot of people in an organization to help others. And what kind of training is involved to say man a hotline 
or to counsel victims of domestic violence? That's an excellent question, Candice. Um, so at our agency, we have um, an outreach counselor on staff, and she provides of counseling to our clients that are interested in that. We also have legal advocates who are available to not provide legal counsel, but just to help provide education and information about what the legal options are. You know, what does a protective order look like? What does that mean? What does that provide? What are your options? Um, and then they can connect clients, you know, with legal counsel should that be needed. We um, are able to provide court accompaniment for folks. Our staff members can do that as well. Um, in terms of training, you know, for our staff as well as our volunteers, there's actually um, a fairly, I use the word rigid, um, it's a very strong training program that we use that is actually a 40-hour program. Um, about half of that is direct um, education provided by typically myself or another one of um, our our um, staff members. It is self-led with, you know, with participants reviewing information that we provide to them. Um, and it really focuses on, of course, um, agency services, domestic violence, um, but then also, you know, cultural humility. How do we meet our clients where they are? What are the resources available in our area? Um, a little bit of everything. So the training um, is designed to leave people feeling very prepared to do whatever their job is. Um, we do offer a lot of volunteer opportunities. The hotline is certainly one of those opportunities and one that we are always welcome to have assistance with. Um, so not only do hotline volunteers, of course, complete that training program, but we also provide them with shadow shifts. So they're able to work with our staff members and really learn, you know, through observation and then having that staff member there with them until they feel comfortable um, answering the hotline. We, you know, we want people to feel like they have the tools to do this and feel safe and comfortable in doing so. Again, not sure that you'll be able to answer this because it's somewhat of a statistical question, but do you have any idea of how many victims of domestic intimate partner violence leave the person who is inflicting that pain and violence on them and then go back? I don't have a specific number um, in that respect, but I can share you know, information regarding the cycle of violence and that we do know that um, the majority of individuals experiencing intimate partner violence will actually leave their partner seven to 12 times before they actually leave for the final time. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. It, it can take a long time. And again, you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, some of those barriers to leaving, um, and that's a big part of it. You know, there's, there's the financial, um, which is huge, fears for their children. Um, a lot of people feel almost a sense of responsibility um, that the situation is occurring. Um, and then when you talk about the cycle of violence, again, um, you know, you have kind of that 
that crisis phase when things are are bad they're really bad you know maybe they're it maybe it's the verbal abuse has just escalated it's nonstop, and then there's this blow up and then you go into this calm phase and that person is the person they were when you first met you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel you feel like it's never going to happen again promises are made um but what we know about that cycle is eventually you start to walk on eggshells again you start to go back into that phase where you can feel the tension you know building up again and then eventually it goes back into crisis phase and then that whole cycle can occur over and over and over again um for some individuals for some situations it might happen once a year some folks it could happen multiple times a day um you know every situation is so different are there any programs out there that you know of that focus on housing? Because you mentioned some of the reasons why people don't leave is financial, and I'm sure they have nowhere to go. Yes. Um, so most of the domestic violence agencies that are out there will have some type of emergency shelter available. Um, for example, we um, at the shelter have an emergency one of the services we provide is emergency shelter for individuals who are um, experiencing intimate partner violence and are you know in a high danger situation um, and really have nowhere else to go certainly a concern in our area but i um you know my understanding is it's a concern in many many areas is affordable housing. Um, so we work very, very closely with our clients through case management to help connect them you know, with resources in the community so that they can, when they leave, if they're with us in emergency shelter, when they leave, they're able to have gainful employment. They're able to you know, have childcare if needed, and then hopefully able to find affordable housing in some um, in the Charlottesville-Albemarle area, a lot of times that means having to leave Charlottesville and Albemarle um, because of the lack of affordable housing here. Um, so that is, it, it is certainly something that I think collectively um, we all need to out and work on um, so that, you know, of course, victims of domestic violence, but, you know, everyone that needs housing has that opportunity. I agree with you 100%. And yes, Charlottesville is a very expensive place to live. I want to talk a little bit more about prevention because obviously you've done great on awareness and obviously the organization is focused on that prevention part. Are there programs in schools and, and within the community that focus on prevention and how can educators, teachers um, help identify people at risk, I guess? Yes, definitely. I, I love that you asked that question. Um, prevention is is crucial. It is, you know, in the truest sense of the word, prevention is really geared towards working with individuals who have not ever experienced domestic violence. We know, statistically speaking, that number is very small. Um, one in four, one in three to four women and one in nine men at some point will be will have experienced intimate partner violence in some capacity across their lifetime. So when you think about prevention, um, you know, we, we really need to we need to get in there, of course, before this happens. 
um, our agency has two preventionists on staff. We are so, so lucky to have that um, as a resource. Recently this summer hired a second preventionist, um, Jada, who is our prevention advocate. And Jada's position really focuses primarily on working with youth and underserved populations. Um, to get into our Black and Latinx communities and help provide those same resources to help, you know, stop this cycle from ever beginning to begin with. Um, so her responsibility, her focus is really on kind of the macro level and getting into communities, you know, going into neighborhoods, tabling, being there, holding events, and just talking with the neighborhood you know this is i'm here this is what we do you know who are your safe adults who are the people you can go to if you have a problem um you know what are some things that make you feel safe what are things that don't make you feel safe you know having those conversations and getting kids thinking about it from that perspective and let's just for clarity's sake because you mentioned uh, lower income or marginal air, uh, families Domestic violence is not limited to people of lower income or one race or one age or one gender. Is that correct? That is correct. It, it knows no boundaries um, at all. It can happen in any situation, in any community. Um, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's everywhere. Well... I would like to end on a positive note as I try to. Um, can you share just one anecdotal story that somebody that you work with without naming names, but um, share a story about someone who uh, has moved on and has gotten out of the abusive relationship and is living their best life? Yes. You know, we have a client who, um, oh, I should say a previous client now because she has moved on and is doing absolutely beautifully. Um, who was with us um, both first in a residential capacity, um, has several sons, um, stayed with us in the residential program, and then also was able to take advantage of our transitional housing program. We do have two transitional houses that are reserved for um, individuals that come out of our residential program that have children. Um, and because it is only two houses, it's a fairly limited population we're able to offer it to because people can stay there for six months to two years depending on the situation um, but this particular individual she um, stayed in one of our transitional houses for a period of time has since moved on um, has found housing um, is found employment and actually now speaks out at the state level at conferences regarding her experiences um, and has, you know, really turned this around to be a way to help others in their healing. Thank you. That is a wonderful story. And I know that there are many more out there and let's hope that we continue to make strides in preventing domestic intimate partner abuse is we appreciate your time and your expertise, Erica. You are so welcome, Candace. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really enjoyed having this conversation with you. Likewise. And to all of our listeners out there, remember, every cloud has a silver lining. If you or someone you know 
is in an unhealthy or abusive relationship, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788.